Romans chapter 6. We're just going to look at verses 8 through 14 tonight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. How fabulous is that? Let's read it again, and we'll go slow, and we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. Verse 8 says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. This is the promise of salvation in a nutshell, that because Christ is alive, we too will live again. And in a lot of places in the Bible, when it says that, it's talking about the resurrection at the end, when we get to be with Christ in heaven. That's not specifically what this verse is talking about. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If you look in the previous verses, he's talking about the life that we're living right now. He's talking about that new life. In John 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. So what comes after? In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This verse is referring to living life apart from sin, just like Jesus did and just like Jesus does. The Bible promises you a life out from under the tyranny of sin. But we can get stuck. The Lord has promised us a life that is not battered around by sin, but we get stuck. You can get stuck in the past, which is the shame of sins that you've committed before. That maybe are years ago, but they're still hanging over you and they're still ruling over your life. It can be stuck in the present. You're stuck in a repeated cycle of sin that you just can't break out of. Like Romans 7 talks about where you wish you could do what you want to do, but you keep ending up to do what you don't want to do. Or you can get stuck in the future where you're so afraid of what you might do that you're afraid to walk into the newness and the freedom that Christ has given you. You think to yourself, I couldn't handle all of that. If Jesus gave me that, I know what I'm like. And it's like following the same old script that the enemy has given you. If you're going to give a title tonight, it's called flipping the script. Because when you were walking apart from Jesus, you showed up every day, the devil gave you your part, he gave you your lines, he gave you your stage directions, and you lived the way he wanted you to live. When he gave you your cue... You walked out what he had told you to do. And sometimes, even after we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get stuck in those same old habits, and those cues are given, and we follow them just like we used to. None of that amounts to abundant life. None of that is what Jesus promised, and none of it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and when he whispers in your ear, it sounds good. Right? He doesn't show up trying to scare you like with a Halloween mask saying, now you're going to do what I say or else. He tricks you into thinking that you're hearing from God. 
But Paul shows us in this passage how to flip the script that you maybe have followed your whole life. And let's see what he says. We've died with Christ. We believe we'll live with him. What does that mean? Well, verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So Paul is going to explain to us how we are to live out new life in Christ. And he's going to begin, like all of our Christian living should be, grounding ourselves in sound doctrine. Paul lays out the case that Jesus Christ is free from sin. That might sound real obvious, but it's important. He says Jesus is not bound by death anymore. We are never looking for Jesus to die again. I think we all understand that, right? He's already died. And death is the realm of sin. Remember in the garden, God told Adam, the day that you eat of this fruit, the day that you sin, you will surely what? Die. And then later on, Adam died and his children died and their children died. And you read through that genealogy in Genesis and it gets kind of boring. But the thing that's shocking about it is that they all died because they all sinned. Now, Jesus never sinned, but he died on our behalf. He died for our sins. Romans 6, 23, the same chapter later on, the wages of sin is death. You get paid when you work. You get paid money. When you sin, you get paid in death. Sin is the penalty imposed upon us because of sin. Now, Jesus tasted that death once for us as a sacrifice. So he's never going to taste death again. His life that he lives now is completely separate from sin's control and sin's tyranny. Would you agree? Jesus does not have to worry about being dragged down into sin at this point. He never has to worry about dying ever again. We all agree that sin has no control or mastery over him. We all understand that? Past, present, future. Jesus is not controlled by sin anymore. When Satan gives Jesus a cue, he doesn't answer. Kind of like when he lived his life. right? Cause these stones to become bread. Action. And Jesus said, no. I'm not going to use my power for something carnal like that. We don't live by bread alone. So, okay, we get that. Jesus is free from sin. But you go, all right, well, that's Jesus. What about me? Look at verse 11. This is one worth underlining and memorizing. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I love the old versions of that verse. They say, you must reckon yourself. It's that Greek word, logizomai. It's related to the word logos, which means word. It's where we get the word for if you're going to put something in a log, right? You're going to fill out the log. It's an accounting term, actually. You must reckon, consider, logizomai, put yourself in the column of dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is the first step in flipping the script. Number one, you have to believe that you are already dead to sin, this is an act of faith, similar to the act of faith that you made when you first became a Christian. You called on the Lord to save you. Now, later, after that, you are believing in your heart that when you called, God answered. That's what that means, that when you called on the name of the Lord, He heard you. There are Christians who can go their entire lives believing that sin is still threatening their soul and they never learn the freedom that the cross provides. And I mean psychological freedom, not in any kind of weird way, but mental freedom. Your soul might be fine, but the devil has you convinced that you're not and it prevents you from walking into the abundant life that God has promised you. If you still believe that sin is your master, 
You're still going to live as if sin is your master. You're not going to live as if Christ is your master, which is why Paul comes in and says, consider, reckon, log yourself down as dead to sin. That account has been closed. It doesn't affect these books anymore. Paul does this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, he's not ignoring the struggle here. I'm still living this life in the flesh, but I'm living it by faith. Paul is telling us in Romans 6, categorize yourself like Jesus is categorized. Jesus is in the category of no longer under the power of sin. Paul comes in in verse 11 and says, put yourself in that same category. You are no longer under the power of sin. Not someday you will no longer be under the power of sin. Today you are not. And right now you're having doubts running through your head, aren't you? Uh, I don't know about that. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, that kind of thinking, you got to shake it off. Because if you stay in that, as he's going to say in a minute, you're going to keep living that way. God looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus. So for you to walk in victory, you need to bring your thinking into line with God's thinking about you. You need to think about yourself the same way God thinks about you. Believe that you are dead to sin. Verse 12, let not sin therefore... Since you are dead to sin, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, that is the parts of your body, your resources, the things that are under your control, present them to God as instruments of righteousness. Now we believe and we have faith in our victory over sin. But just like the Israelites, when they came into the promised land, you've got to step out and clear out the Canaanites. The first day Israel walked into the promised land, God made Jericho fall down all around them. The walls came crumbling down, right? They still had to go into the city and finish the job. The battle was not over. They had to go win the battle. And every other people after that, they still had to step out and fight. God had given them the victory, but if they just sat down and wondered why the Canaanites weren't leaving, God would be saying, I told you, go in there. Get after it. It's the same way. This is the second key to flipping the script. Strive to overcome sin. I thought we weren't supposed to strive. Striving is bad when you put your faith in your striving. You say, I'm going to try really, really hard not to sin today. Oh no, I sinned, therefore I must be going to hell. That's no good. Or if you say, hey, I didn't sin today, I must be a pretty great person, and I'm on my way to heaven. No, neither one of those is good. But when you are striving because you believe you've already been given victory over sin, that's when it's okay to strive. Go out and conquer some stuff in your life. Don't let that stronghold of the enemy stay there. Get over there and take that hill. And I love verse 12, look at this. Don't let sin reign in your body to make you obey. It places you in the driver's seat by the power of Jesus. Sin can't tell you what to do. Isn't that awesome? Don't let sin reign like a king over you to make you obey. Don't let sin tell you what to do. That's a really free paraphrase of verse 12. Don't let sin tell you what to do. And you know what's implicit in that? Sin cannot make you do anything. And it cannot reign over you unless you let it reign over you. He talks about presenting yourself before sin or God as an instrument. And really, to, to boil it down, he's saying, stop sinning. Stop showing up for duty. 
you were at a restaurant and you're, you're eating and you're having your nice meal, and then the owner comes out and starts hollering at you, get back in the kitchen, those dishes aren't done. Now, you don't work there. But if you get up and start washing the dishes, you might as well work there. You're not going to get paid. You're not getting anything out of it, but you're still doing the work. And then if you walk away and he says, now be here first thing tomorrow morning and you show up first thing tomorrow morning, you're following the script that he's giving you. What would you say if the boss of some restaurant came out and started hollering at you to go out and do dishes? I don't work for you. It's the same thing with sin. When sin shows up and says, all right, here's what I got planned for the day. Here are your lines. Here are your stage directions. Off you go. You crumple it up and you say, I don't work for you. Oh, yes, you do. You've been obeying what I've said for years now. Well, that was my mistake. I'm not doing it another minute. Down in verse 16, Paul is going to say, don't you, you say, oh, I'm not a slave to sin. He says, you're a slave of whoever you obey. If you obey sin, then you're a slave to sin. If you obey God, you're a slave to God. You might not work at that restaurant, but if you keep on doing what the boss tells you, you're kind of an unpaid employee, an indentured servant or something like that. You are the subject of whomever you subject yourself to. Isn't that amazing? You do not have to be obedient to the temptations of your flesh. Just let that sink in for a second. When the enemy comes at you and tempts you with lust, or it tempts you with anger or whatever it is, you don't have to do it. And there are moments where it is coming so strong, you think there's no way. I couldn't change my mind if I wanted to. By the power of Christ, yes, you can. That's why you reckon yourself. You're already in the category of I don't have to sin. We all have scripts that we follow. When you know, when I talk to that person, sure as shooting, by the time we're done, I'm gonna be gossiping about somebody. Don't you have that in your life? Or if I go to this website, might not even be a bad website, but if I go there, I'm going to end up somewhere I shouldn't be. If I say something like this, if I watch this, if I go there, it's a script that you're living out. But the Lord tells you, stop doing that. When the cue comes, don't say your lines. When the cue comes, don't go where you're supposed to go. You do what Christ has told you to do. You have to strive. You have to fight. Rehearse in your mind how you will act next time. If you're going to keep that metaphor of, of the stage, right? Do your own rehearsal with Jesus. When she says that, you go this way. When the, when the temptation comes to go here, you go there. When he calls you up and you know what he wants, hang up the phone. Rehearse in your mind. Well, what happens if he calls back? Then hang up again. What happens if he texts me? Block his number. You see, you're rehearsing righteousness in your mind. You strive to overcome sin. And third is going to be in verse 14. For, I love this verse, sin will have no dominion over you. How much dominion? No dominion. Zero dominion. None dominion. <laughs> None over you. Since you are not under the law, but under what? Grace. I love that word, grace. Paul has given us what you call here an assurance sandwich. He started out at the beginning by assuring you that you are dead to sin in Christ. Then in the middle, strive to overcome sin. But at the end, it's all by the grace of God. You heard of the compliment sandwich when you want to tell somebody something they got to get better. You start out with a compliment and you finish with a compliment. This is an assurance sandwich. Because he doesn't want anybody to get the idea that it all depends on your striving. But he also doesn't want you to think that you should stop striving. Your salvation, your status with God is not determined by your actions. Praise the Lord. This is step three to flipping the script. Rest in God's grace. Isn't that awesome? 
Number one was believe that you are dead to sin. Number two is strive to overcome sin. And number three is rest in God's grace. First John chapter two, verse one, John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What's the point of what he's written? Don't sin anymore. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You have Jesus on your side so that even if you do sin, it's all right. He's going to say, in fact, in, in 1 John, he says, if anybody says, I don't sin anymore, you're a liar. <laughs> right? So if we say we have no sin, we are lying. But he says, but if you do sin, even though you're striving as hard as you can, and you do sin, he says, you have an advocate. You have Jesus on your team. When you do sin, you don't let it break you. You don't let it hold sway over your life. You know those, the saying that people can give you 100 compliments, but the one person who insults you, that's the thing you can't stop thinking about? That's how it seems with, with Jesus, unfortunately. You can have 100 moments of victory, but the one where you stumble, that's the one that just eats you alive for months. That's not good. That's not grace. And you get knocked down. You ever have a moment with the Lord where maybe you sin or you stumble or you have a bad interaction with somebody and you go home and you're weeping and moping, Lord, I'm so sorry. What can I do? I, says, I can't get over this. You ever, sometimes God comes in and he puts his arm around you. Sometimes the Lord is like, hey, it's okay. I'm with you. Sometimes with me, God comes in and says, get up. Get up. What do you think? You're going to hell now? Get up. I've died for you. Get up and don't do it anymore. A righteous man gets knocked down six times, but he gets up seven times. You are stuck in sinful flesh. Your flesh is under the curse of sin. That will not change until you're in glory. You're always going to be fighting against it. And unfortunately, there's probably going to be times where you give in. But God does not see that sin as coming from you anymore. He sees it as coming from the flesh that you're stuck in, from the enemy who knows how to manipulate people after so long. That's amazing grace. Even when you do mess up and you follow the script the devil gives you, the Lord allows you to begin again with new mercy every morning. There's grace to fail with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Because he is dead to sin and he is alive to God. And that's the life he promised us. If you can put your faith in God's grace, you can have the strength to flip the script, to believe you're dead to sin, to strive to overcome sin, and then to rest in God's grace. What does the devil have on you anymore? Even when he does get you to sin, all it does is it drives you closer to Jesus and you spend a few extra hours in prayer. And he tells whatever demon it was, would you stop tempting him? Every time he sins, he prays more. Just cut it out, leave him alone. And then there's a whole other fight we have to deal with called apathy, but I'm not going to get into that today. Abundant life. How much dominion is sin going to have over you? None dominion. No dominion. And that's, man, that, the devil's working on some of you right now. Saying, yeah, that sounds nice, but that's not realistic. You know what you're like. No, no, no. You say, yes, I do know what I'm like. I am dead to sin in Christ Jesus. I have just reckoned myself to be dead to sin. That's how I think about myself, is dead to sin. What, you think you're dead to sin? Yes, because Jesus is dead to sin, and I am a child of Jesus. I'm washed in his blood. I think about myself the way God thinks about me. So I'm going to get up today, and I'm going to fight. If the devil wants to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, we're going to go 15 rounds until the clock says midnight, and then I'm going to fall asleep. And I'm going to get up the next day, and we're going to strive again. I might get knocked down, but guess what? There's grace for that. I'm going to get right back up and keep going. How awesome is that? Praise the Lord. We read this Sunday, right? We're talking about sin in the church. And we ought to be holy, right? We ought to be righteous. 
We want to be righteous. We don't want to have sin in our lives. And Paul tells us how to do it, and it's framed by that assurance of God's grace. 